Okay, well, we are going to continue in the book of Mark. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 8 or click to Mark chapter 8 or do a search for Mark chapter 8. And I want to start by praying and asking for the Lord's help. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But Father, just thank you so much for this morning and Lord, we're, we're, uh, we often try to approach you on our own terms and, and in our flesh, and Lord, that's, that's not what you've uh, asked for of us, that's not um, the path that you've shown us, and that's not what you've provided for us, but it's only through the incredible, uh, costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ uh, death, burial, and resurrection that we're able to uh, come before you in your throne of grace in confidence and, and in the strength and in the righteousness of the Lord. And so we thank you for that gift. And as we continue reading through the book of Mark, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, that we would not see through human fleshly eyes and, and try to listen with our own ears, but that you would give us spiritual discernment, spiritual eyes, to see who you truly are, Christ, uh, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In Jesus' name, amen. So it always feels weird to like pray and be all spiritual and then go to like a movie analogy. <laughs> but anybody know what movie this is? Free Guy. Free guy. Not to be con confused with uh, Ready Player One which I was like doing a Google search and I was like, Ready Player One, right? No, it's like, no, it, no, it's Free Guy. So if anybody hasn't seen this, Free Guy, I don't want to spoil the movie, but basically there's, uh, in video games, there's uh, this idea that there's the characters that you actually control with the controllers, and then there are background, uh, like non-player characters that are just kind of doing their thing. Okay, they're probably getting better with like machine learning and AI, but in the past they just kind of you know run into walls and they're they're not really thinking straight, right? So uh, Ryan Reynolds in, in this game in this movie, he's one of those NPCs, non-player characters, and so he's just a bank teller getting held up every day, uh, <laughs> and and uh, and hitting the floor with his friend, and they're always talking about how like life is, you know, just kind of the same thing over and over again. And then uh, one day, he gets kind of like broken out of that rut. It's almost like he was stuck in Groundhog's Day, and and he gets broken out of that rut, and he starts walking the street, and he he finds these glasses, okay, and these glasses are typically what the video game players' characters have on. And so he puts these glasses on, and you can see, it's like all of a sudden he's seeing his world in a completely new manner, and all the store, like all the buildings have like these bright new lights that are saying exactly what they are, like, hey, this is an armory, this is where you can get like machine guns and things like that, and here, here's like some food to like improve your health and things like that. And yeah, I was just kind of thinking about it, and... <clears throat> A lot of what you see in the Gospels, I, I, like you see this in the book of John, you see this in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that humans are trying to follow God through their own lens. They're, they're trying to see God and follow God 
and approach God through their own abilities, their own capabilities. And they're just like not on the same plane as God. Like they're not, they're not in there. And it's kind of this automated, it's kind of, you're almost kind of like a uh, non-player character. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you, you just keep on going through the motions and, and then, uh, you know, for, for those that encounter the living God and you get his spirit put inside of you or you hear the word of God and, and your heart is soft, God, it's like, it's kind of like this character. It's like God puts this, this like spiritual, these spiritual glasses on you and all of a sudden you're perceiving things, you're understanding things that were there all along. Uh, you start seeing, like, you maybe even start looking back and you're like, man, I see how God was working in my life. Like, we just, you know, uh, there were some baptisms for service and, like, people just talking about, like, everything they were going through. But it's like God led them to this moment. And this is, this is the power of the gospel. This is, this is why we need God's spirit inside of us. This is why we need to be humble before the Lord. And this is why we got to be in his word. This is why we got to be in the church. Because if, if we just use our own intellect, if we just use our own eyes and our own ears and our own understanding, we're trying to read the Bible, like it's not going to work. And we're just going to go through, like we're going to go around the mountain again and again. We're going to, uh, yeah, so, so we're going to be stuck in that Groundhog Day loop if you've seen that movie. I'll, I'll, I'll stop referencing that. But before uh, we get into Mark chapter 8, just, just to recap, that in Mark chapter 7, this is a, a picture of old-time Israel during Jesus' time. A little pixelated of an image, but what we saw last time was that, again, Jesus is encountering the spiritual leaders, and they are, they're like nitpicking at, at things, and they're accusing Jesus of breaking the law. And Jesus actually brings up scripture and starts showing them their hypocrisy. He's like calling them out in public, their hypocrisy. And we've seen over and over again in Mark that they're, they're scheming how they can kill Jesus. They're, you know, they're frustrated. They're, they're, try, they're seeing people starting to follow Jesus. And Jesus is starting to kind of get this like mass movement. And it's like, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to stop this thing, this work of God. And so what we saw in, in Mark chapter 7 was that Jesus actually went all the way up to the northwest uh, and, and went to a Gentile area and started doing miracles. And like one of the miracles that was recorded was uh, he delivered a demon-possessed girl, a Gentile girl um, that had just been tormented by Satan and was delivered from that. And then they traveled and they went across the Sea of Galilee and they went southeast to the Decapolis area, which is also a Gentile area. And it was there that he healed another Gentile who was both deaf and had a speech impediment. And you're going to see this a lot in the Gospels, that Jesus is healing and giving sight and helping people that can't talk be able to talk and people that can't hear, that helping them to be able to hear. You know, these are physical things that are happening, but they're a picture of what God wants to do in each of our lives spiritually. So as we continue... <clears throat> We're going to look at a couple of things. One, Jesus' provision, okay? We've got this, and there's going to be a couple of passages that I'm actually not going to read 
but just kind of summarize just to make sure that we're tracking that time. But earlier in Mark, I think it was Mark chapter 7, Jesus had actually fed 5,000. They're in the wilderness. This is happening a lot in the Gospels. The, the multitude is, it has heard what Jesus has done, and they're, like, they're desperate. They're, go, they're willing to leave their comfort, go into the desert, go into the wilderness, and listen to his teachings. And food's like a lower priority. But there comes, there comes a point where it's like, oh, shoot, we don't have any food. And Jesus had already fed 5,000 and had used the disciples to do that. And it's kind of wild, but what we see uh, in, in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, is that it's happening again. But this time in the Decapolis area, the Gentile area, there's, there's this huge amount of people. 4,000 is what the scriptures say. And it's interesting because the disciples have already seen Jesus calm the storm. They've seen him walk on water. They saw him feed over 5,000 people already with just a few loaves. And they find themselves in the exact situation again. And here's what the disciples say. They say, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Okay, so... So they're asking this question. They're looking and they're like, Lord, you want us to feed these people, but we're in the wilderness. <laughs> and it's like, they, it's, it's like they've never been in this situation before. It's like they don't know the book of Exodus and the manna that was provided by the Lord to get the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. It's like they forget these things. And you guys, we're no different. We're no different. The scripture talks a lot about the importance of remembrance and making, in, in some ways, almost like memorializing the things that God is doing in our life. And, and like in the Old Testament, they talk about, you know, putting up these stones, like put these stones over here that came from the river Jordan when it parted so that when your children ask, like, what are these stones here? You can tell them what the Lord did. Because, man, we, we so f- quickly forget the things that the God is doing. But Jesus feeds the 4,000, okay? He does it again. He uses the disciples. And so after that, that's where we're going to pick up. So in verse 10, oh, yeah, here's a picture of uh, him feeding the multitude. I really liked this picture. I just kind of felt like I've, I've been to Israel before <clears throat> and to the Middle East and like their, their mountains have like a lot of stones like this, kind of like baked into them. So I just thought that was a cool picture. So we're going to start in verse 10. And it says this, And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, why, does, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. So this is your first key point. The key points are a little long today and a little wordy, so, but, I, but I hope that they come through clear. And, and it's this, that man's ultimatum to see a sign from God as a prerequisite for faith 
is an adulterous rejection of the Lord's pursuit. It's an adulterous rejection of the Lord's pursuit. Not only that, but it's also an evil yet feeble insurrection to seize the throne of his authority. Okay, so your blanks are rejection and insurrection. Okay, now that seems like uh, some pretty strong language. And I was thinking about this when, when, you know, a lot of times people will say like, well, if God, you know, if God exists, like, why doesn't he just like show himself? And that seems like a pretty good, like logical question to ask, right? Or, or something to, to say, like, like, why does it, why does God kind of like, if, if he's existing, why is he like cloaking himself? Why does he make it like easier to ask? But what we see in scripture is that God actually makes himself perfectly clear to all mankind. And yet we reject him. And not only do we reject the Lord's pursuit of us, but when we're asking God to, to prove himself, okay, we're actually kind of trying to take over the situation of our relationship with God and say to God, dance, monkey, dance. And if God were to actually do that, if God were to dance for us, okay, who's in charge? Who's the Lord at that point? It's, it's, it's the human that's, that's asking God or demanding of God to, to prove himself. And there's a cross-reference in Matthew 12, 38 through 41, and I'm just going to read some excerpts from you guys. They're not going to be up here, but... This is, this is what Jesus said. This is a cross-reference to the story. And it says this. Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. That's Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale belly, whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know what's like really stands out to me about this passage He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and keep in mind the multitudes here, and he's actually giving them a sign. They're asking for a sign, and he's saying, no, it's evil for you to get a sign, but then he's actually giving them a sign, which is the sign of Jonah, and he's actually prophesying about his death, burial, and resurrection. They're actually receiving, in this moment, revelation from Jesus Christ. The Pharisees are getting it. The multitude's getting it. The disciples are getting it. Those seeds are being cast. That sign is being set in front of them. They will come to that moment where Jesus is crucified before them, where Jesus is buried for three days and where he arises again. Jesus was prophesying to that to the hard-hearted. Okay? But, again... When we're demanding of the Lord to prove himself, we're really kind of aligning with how Satan operates. So in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness, you're seeing Satan asking God to kind of dance like a monkey. If thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Come on, prove yourself, Messiah. Isn't it written in your scriptures that if you jump off the cliff, that angels will catch you? And again, who, 
who's trying to be the Lord there? It's Satan. He's trying to take control. He's trying to sit in that seat of authority and make Jesus prove himself. And that's often what humans do. And when God doesn't bow down to our wishes, we allow that as the excuse for why we don't have to believe, why we don't have to obey. But what we see in scripture is that the Lord's word is enough. Even if you don't see a personal miracle in your life, you've got the word of God that's testifying of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's testifying of the the signs and wonders that happened in Exodus. You've got the word of God telling you how to be in a right relationship with the Lord. And it's a supernatural book. In Luke chapter 16, there's there's a story of this rich man who had his life so good on the earth. And he had his reward on the earth. And then there was poor man Lazarus, and they both died. And they find themselves in, uh, a, in, in I guess I would say the afterlife. Uh, we won't get too, too much into like, this doctrine of Abraham's bosom. But the short of it is that this rich man was in a fiery, tormented place, and Lazarus was with Abraham in this protected state. And there was this division between the land of fire under the earth and this, this place where Abraham was with Lazarus. And the guy that's in hell and being tormented, when he realizes that there, there's, no, there's no comfort for his, his deserved state, his deserved punishment, he pleads to Abraham to, to, to send Lazarus back as a sign to his family. Because man, if they see Lazarus rise from the dead, then surely they will, they'll hear this testimony that, and they will go a different path than I did. They won't end up in hell like I did. And this is what Abraham said to them. He said, your relatives... They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Seeing somebody rise from the dead, seeing a sign from God, even if God gives you a sign, that's not going to change your hard heart. Because again, you need those spiritual eyes. You need that soft heart. You need the Lord's help and you need to humble yourself before him. So I started taking a little bit of an inventory because I was like, okay, the Pharisees are asking for a sign and they're always trying to like trip up Jesus like throughout the gospels. So it's like just in the book of Mark up until this, this point, we're about halfway through Mark the first seven chapters, it's like, how many like miracles did they actually see like with their own eyes? Or how many miracles were in their region that they probably would have heard of? And I started just kind of taking an inventory. It's like Mark chapter one. You can see this in your notes. There was a leper cleansed. And then it was in Mark chapter two, there's this packed out house 
and the religious leaders are actually sitting inside the house. It's like they have a front row seat when this guy with palsy gets like the roof of the house gets ripped open by his friends and they drop him down or softly lower him down. (laughs) And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals them right in front of their eyes. Do you think they really wanted a sign in order to believe that they were wanting? No, they were actually asking for a sign as a way of defiance, right? To, to try to prove their own point, to, to try to make themselves righteous. And it wasn't working. Mark 3, they saw a man with a withered hand uh, get healed in the synagogue. That was when they were asking, like, is it, you know, is it good to do good, like to heal a man on the Sabbath day? Again, in some ways, kind of asking for a sign. They got it. Mark 5, there was a, a, a Gentile demoniac. And this is interesting. Uh, you see a couple of times in scripture, I think it's twice in the book of Mark up until this point, where Jesus heals somebody and then he says, like, don't tell anybody, <laughs> okay? It's like, keep it on the down low. And then it says that they went and published it. I wonder why all these multitudes are showing up. Well, it's like, you've got these healings happening and then you have these people bringing testimony of what the Lord has done and they're publishing it. And we could go on. I'm guessing that probably for these religious leaders, there could have been, just in the first six chapters of Mark, anywhere from a dozen to, to maybe hundreds of healings and miracles and testimonies. You know, the book of John talks about, like, if, if, if you wrote down everything that the Lord had done, like, we'd run out of paper, right? So... So it, it, it's, I, I think about this. It's just kind of like, what more do you want from me, right? Blood? This is, this is from Little Shop of Horrors. But it's like, there, there are certain people that you just cannot appease them because they actually don't want to hear. They actually don't want to listen. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus kind of shows the hardness of their heart. And he says, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? Okay, this evil and wicked, adulterous generation. It's like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. Okay? Like, we're playing the flute and we're calling you and you don't want to dance. Oh, okay, well, maybe you're in a bad mood. Maybe something bad happened. Let's try a different approach. We have mourned unto you. And you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Okay? So it's like, you just can't appease these people because they don't want to go where God wants to take them. But the Lord gives ample evidence of who he is. The Lord gives us signs, even today. And I just want to read a couple of of verses. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So it's like just in creation alone, there is a gospel presentation. And it's kind of interesting because like, I, I love this little fact about the earth and the sun, the, the relationship between the earth and the sun. It feels like the earth is rotating or the sun is rotating around us, doesn't it? Like it feels like we're the center of the universe. And I think that's such a great picture of the flesh, right? Like God should be serving us and, and God should be providing for our every need, right? And he does. But when you actually put on the glasses, when you put on the scientific glasses, you find out, oh, it's actually the sun that's in the center. And, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, and it's, it's like, and if, if, if you're not staying with the Lord in orbit, you're going to freeze or burn up, right? It's like, the sun is such a powerful, beautiful image of the holiness of the Lord, the goodness and provision of the Lord. If, if any of you have, has anybody taken the sevens class in LFBI? If, if not, if there's a, a really fun class to audit or to take for credit, it'd be the sevens. And what they do is they just go through scripture and look at all the, the, the sevens. Call me Captain Obvious. <laughs> In scripture, there's sevens like all over the place. Seven baptisms, okay? Like just one example. Uh, seven tabernacle temples. Like there's, there's all these examples and pictures and types. But just in creation, it's crazy that like the rainbow has sevens, right? So Roy G. Biv, that's if you count it out, red, orange, yellow. That, that comes out to seven, okay? You've got <clears throat> music notes. So for anybody that plays the piano, if you look at all the white keys and go up the scale, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, seven notes, and then it resets, and the next octave starts at A again. So you have seven whole notes. And then even like say, seven days in a week. Uh, it's like, there's just like God fine tunes things and he like he puts his thumbprint in like all all around us. And yet, you know, we still want more. Like we still want more. <clears throat> it says this in Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in righteousness unrighteousness. So God's giving us truth, but we, unhold, we hold it in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seeing, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but because of because, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened okay so i mean what this is saying in romans is that like god is like written his law inside of us and and he's like 
we don't have an excuse for not believing in God, but we hold the truth in unrighteousness. And if left to our own devices, if left to our own schemes, we actually, we lose it. It's like our, our foolish heart becomes darkened and we don't have the ability to even see God. We become vain in our imaginations. And you guys, this is a, I, I, I hate to say it, but it's, it's true. This is a wicked and adulterous generation. And the wicked imaginations like, that we have fuel our media and we love it. You know, like we're just like whatever we can come up with, that will be. But here's what 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25 says. Because people will be asking for signs. People will be asking for proof of God. And we should definitely, in our apologetics, I mean, we should be sharp. We should know how to, to talk about these things, right? But this is what Paul said. He said he, that in 1 Corinthians that he didn't come with like impressive speech and rhetoric. And he says this in verse 22, for, for Jews require a sign. And aren't we seeing that in Mark chapter 8? They're requiring a sign. They want to see that sign. Show me a sign. And Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jew and Greeks, Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'll give you just a, a little bit of, of my own personal testimony. I was going to pull up a photo of like me as a, as a youngster, but uh, figured... Uh, like, let's, let's just uh, stick to the script, the story. Uh, it'd be too distracting. Uh, but you guys, uh, my, my, my background, like I, I'm, I'm kind of a Christian mutt, if, if you will. So I, I grew up in a Mennonite home, uh, incredible parents that loved the Lord. Uh, I would say in a lot of ways, um, I got taught God's word and to the love of God's word from my youth pastors, from my parents. And then uh, across the street was like the really cool, charismatic church with great music. And I had a lot of my friends going there. And so I was kind of like one foot in the Mennonite church, one foot in the charismatic church. And then I moved out to Kansas City to actually uh, be a part of a discipleship program at a church in South Kansas City. And... But I, I just, I, I don't want to talk about those churches. I just want to talk about me in, in the sense that I had this desire to see the power of God. And this is kind of embarrassing, but when I was young, I would like kind of daydream. Like, I, I guess almost if like a little kid was daydreaming about being a superhero, I kind of like would daydream about God doing a miracle through me and it's like everybody would come to the lord in this you know and like hundreds would come to the lord through, by seeing this miracle right and i think in some ways this was kind of modeled 
for me by some of the church experiences I had, especially in the, my high school and like early college years, was, was this idea that God's going to do a sign and a wonder and it's going to like, it's going to floor you. It's going to move you and you're going to see that God is all powerful. Okay. And so I'd like crave these experiences. I'd be looking for them. And there were times when I would step foot in church and I was just hoping that God would give me a sign. I was hoping that the prophet or prophetess would get up and would have a word from the Lord for me, that, that God would be reading my mail and would like tell me that, right? Uh, there was once when I was like on a, we lived on a lake when I was like in, in high school or like not on a lake, by a lake. And I would go out there late at night and I would pray. And uh, it was kind of eerie. Like you'd hear fish jumping and it was like, what? like, is that Jesus walking on water? You know, it's, but like I tried to prove my faith to the Lord. Okay. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to walk on water because the God, I believe you can like have me do this. Uh, I mean, I, Peter did it. He had faith. And how I'm going to prove my faith is I'm going to make it costly if I sink, which is I'm going to put my, my wallet in my pocket. I'm going to keep my shoes on. Uh, I didn't have a cell phone at the time because that wasn't the cell phone era. I probably would have kept my cell phone in there if I was like really, really faithful, right? <laughs> but like, man, all things pointed to I believed that the Lord could have me walk on water. And then I took a foot and stepped out and just sank. I just dropped like down, like just fully submerged. You know, my wallet was all drenched. My shoes were all drenched. And, you know, I came out of, of the water and I didn't question God. I think I more questioned myself in that moment. I didn't stop. I wasn't like, man, God, where are you? You know, but I was always just kind of like wanting God to do more. And when I started coming to Midtown Baptist Temple, you know, just kind of looking back on my heart attitude during that time, it was like, dude, God was reading my mail in his word every day. And it's like the things that like Moses, like think about being the children of Israel before Moses got the Ten Commandments. Like their Bible was kind of thin, <laughs> right? Or like Adam and Eve. And the New Testament talks about the patriarchs just like, like wanting to see these things, these promises that were hoped for, but they didn't come to pass during their generations. And like, think about how much of God's word we have accessible to us like every day. And I just, you know, I just want to, sh I want to share these embarrassing stories a little bit to, to just, just really anchor in that like, even if God would have given me those signs <laughs> for whatever reason, Honestly, they probably would have just puffed me up. But I didn't need them because I wasn't even doing anything with the Word of God that I did have, you know? And so, like, we just got to be careful about this idea of, like, putting God, like, on the hook to try to prove himself to us. And again, I just want to reinforce that, like, that's what Satan was doing in the wilderness. 
Like that's and and in a lot of ways, it's trying to take his throne of authority and have us be God instead of him. Okay, we're going to continue. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of the Herod. Okay, and I'll just say leaven represents sin in, in the Bible. And in this case, when he's saying beware of leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, he's actually talking about their teachings their doctrine, their mindset, okay? So he's like, beware of these things. And, okay, so he's warning them about the, the doctrine and, and the mindset of Herod and the Pharisees. And here's the, the disciples. They reason among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye? Because you have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do you not remember when I break the five loaves among the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among the 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? Okay? So keep in mind, this is the disciples. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing the signs over and over again. And yet Jesus is, they're still spiritually blind. They're still forgetting the things that just happened. A hardened heart will keep, will keep you spiritually blind and deaf. A hardened heart will keep you spiritually blind and deaf. And it was in Mark 6 that, you know, their heart was hardened even though they saw um, the miracle of the loaves, they had already forgotten it when they were in the boat. Now, after this, they travel again, and Jesus ends up healing a blind man outside of Bethsaida, which would be like northwest in the Sea of Galilee. He heals a blind man, a blind and deaf man in Bethsaida. And again, Keep in mind, he just told the disciples, like, aren't you, like, he's, he's pointing out that they're spiritually deaf, that they're spiritually blind, that their hearts are hardened. You know, they're trying to make sense of all this in the flesh, and it's not quite clicking. And now Jesus has done a miracle in front of them. <clears throat> and this is what he's going to do spiritually for them. So if you turn to verse 27, Mark 8, 27. And when Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, that'd be Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Okay, now this word Christ, I didn't put this in your notes, but you might want to write this down. But this is synonymous with the word Messiah or the anointed one. Okay, so Peter has this revelation that like, oh, this is, Jesus isn't just a prophet, but he's actually the one that's going to deliver Israel. Okay, he's the one that's going to bring healing He's God's messenger. 
And here's your key point. <clears throat> to see God for who he truly is, we must have revelation from the Father. Okay, revelation. Whoops. Did I miss that key point? Sorry, guys. I got turned around. To see God for who he truly is, we must have revelation from the Father. And 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how we have to have God's spirit in order to understand who he is. And just in the same way that like you guys could be looking at me right now and you don't know what I'm thinking. What am I thinking? You love tacos. Shoot, man. You ruined it. I do love tacos. (laughs) No, but it's like, you know, anything could be going through me right now, right? And it's really only like internally I know. And it's the same way with God. His spirit is really the only thing that's in tune with him and his word, right? And it's like we need his spirit in order to understand the things that God has for us. And so we need to be desperately asking the Lord. That's why we pray when we start, right? Every time that we start preaching, anytime we get in Bible study, this is why we're asking God to open up our eyes, to help us to see the things, because we can't do it on our own. Can't do it in the flesh. Now, Mark 8, 31 through 33 says this, and he began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. So this is the second time they're hearing this, right? He had already given that warning with the prophet Jonah, that sign. Verse 32, and he spake that saying openly, okay? He spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. This is a very common story. But Peter had just had revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And then he takes Jesus aside and he's like, let's, like This is a bad plan. Like, we're, let's, 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 let's go this way. Let's, let's do my thing. <clears throat> And, and right away, Jesus rebukes him. And here's a key point. Our private interpretations of Scripture are an offense unto God, catering to the flesh of men, therefore aligning to the will of Satan. Our private interpretations are an offense unto God, catering to the flesh of men, therefore aligning to Satan. And... <clears throat> I know we're out of time, so I'm just going to get to the, the last point so that you guys can have this. Jesus ends up warning the disciples and telling them, and along with the multitude, that if they want to follow him, they're going to have to take up their cross. Okay. So not only is Jesus going to have a cross to bear, but he's also saying, if you're going to follow me, you also have a, a cross to bear. And for those that live a good life, you know, to, to just the standards of the world around us, okay? This is what it says, living a good life to the standards of your generations is sinful. 
and it's actually adulterous compliance with Satan leading to ultimate death. Okay, so if we just go on our own path, it leads to death because we know that sin, when it, when it fully matures, it does lead to death and we're born into that. But to save your life, you must be born again and receive the spirit of adoption from the Father. And I just want to close by just saying, if you feel like you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you feel like when you call out to Him, you're not even sure if He hears you, what the Lord says is that He loves you and that He has taken that sin that separates you from Him on himself on the cross. And I would just plead with you that today is the day to actually receive his gift of salvation. That this is, this, it costs him everything, but it's free for us. We don't have to earn it. All we have to do is humble ourselves and he will give us those spiritual glasses and we can start to actually commune with him and talk with him. So if that resonates or if you feel like you need that, um, I'm available, any of the leaders that are here, or the person that brought you, talk about these things and just have an honest conversation. And I'm going to pray and we'll get out of here. Lord, this was a, this was a sobering passage and uh, there was just many warnings. And again, for me, just one of the takeaways is that even as a, even as a believer, I can still um, have revelation of who you are and then just like in a moment, be operating in the flesh and pulling you aside and saying, no, 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 that your way is not, that's not good. Let's go my way. And so God, I just pray that we would continue to be humble before you, that we would have pure, undivided, whole hearts pursuing you. And that God, you would um, help us to follow you as disciples and bear a cross and preach your gospel in Jesus name. Amen. All right, guys. Have a good one.